obviously, Isaiah is a prophet, and uh, his focus is upon the return of Israel to the land, or literally, if you have a highlight in your Bible, it's called, mine says, the restoration of Israel. And I hope that you're reading the Old Testament, not just the New Testament, and looking for God's direction in your life as you read through all of the Bible. And sometimes we get into certain portions of the Bible that are a little less adventurous. You know, you get into Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and descriptions of the tabernacle and descriptions of some of the old laws and what you're supposed to do. But if I remember right, the Bible says in 2 Timothy that all of the Bible is profitable. So I'm hoping tonight as we are actually going to take a fairly extended passage of Scripture and try to look out for principles Look out for things that still apply today. And yes, uh, Isaiah is talking about the restoration of Israel and, and how things are going to look, but can we glean things, principles that you and I can hang our hat on and, and uh, be encouraged and challenged from? And so I hope that's kind of the goal tonight. We'll kind of be walking through the whole passage and not really camp on anything really specific would like to look for some principles that Isaiah 62 has to say that we might find benefit for today. So what, what principles can apply that is found in this chapter? And I think I found seven. You can find more. Um, we're told in seminary that you're not supposed to preach more than five principles, but um, I found seven tonight. So maybe they'll go quickly and we'll keep everybody awake as we move through this tonight. Uh, but let's start with a word of prayer and uh, ask for God's direction uh, this evening. Father, we do want the word of God to accomplish its purposes. We want your blessing upon what's said and done. And we do thank you that you can do your work individually and corporately even this evening. We thank you for your presence to be here, that we can claim that promise that where two or three are gathered, you are in the midst of them. And so we pray that uh, that might be a sense of your awareness, a sense of your presence even this evening as we study the word of God. We do pray for your continued health and those who are struggling, those who are uh, not with us even this evening because of the events of the day. We pray you to bring healing, but more importantly, we bring worship of you that we can recognize your hand of, of direction, even in the low times, even in the sicknesses that come down. So Lord, now we feel uh, ourselves in your hand, the accomplishment of your purposes and plans. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Follow along, if you will. We're going to read the entire chapter of Isaiah 62 and then go back and pick up some principles that we might be able to apply to your life and my life. This is Isaiah chapter 62. For Zion's sake, I will not hold my peace, and for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest until her righteousness goes forth as bright 
darkness and her salvation as a lamp that burns. The Gentiles shall see your righteousness and all kings your glory. You shall be called by a new name which the mouth of the Lord will name. You shall also be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no longer be termed forsaken, nor shall your land be any more termed desolate, but you shall be called Hespel, and your land Beulah, for the, land for the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a virgin, so shall your sons marry you, and as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. I have set watchmen on your walls of Jerusalem, who shall never hold their peace day or night. You who make mention of the Lord, do not keep silent and give him no rest till he establishes, until he makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. The Lord has sworn by his right hand and by the arm of his strength, Surely I will no longer give your grain to be food for your enemies, and the sons of your foreigners shall not drink your new wine for which you have labored. But those who have gathered it shall eat it and praise the Lord. Those who have brought it together shall drink it in my holy courts. Go through, go through the gates, prepare the way for the people, build up, build up the highway, take out the stones, lift up the banner for the peoples. Indeed, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the world, Say to the daughter of Zion, Surely your salvation is coming. Behold, his reward is with him, and the, his work before him. And they shall call him the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. And you shall be called sought out, a city not forsaken. Obviously, the direction is to the city of Jerusalem, and the recalling of the restoration of the people of Israel in the millennial kingdom. And so the, the psalmist, or Isaiah here, is, is keeping that before the people of Israel, saying, this is what's going to come. This is the future. But what about you and I? Does this have any application to our lives? Does it really have any meaning? Well, as I've walked through this, I think I've found some principles that that I can uh, apply. The first one here, in verse 1, simply God, or even the prophet here, acts on behalf of his people. God acts on the ha behalf of his people. And what he's saying is here, Jerusalem, which represents the whole nation, and we have in the Bible where you take a one and it is a representative of the many. So he says Jerusalem, the core of the the worship and where the temple is found, he says Jerusalem, which also is a example or a, a illustration for the entire nation. So he says, I will hold my, I will not hold my peace, and for Jerusalem I will not rest when until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a lamp that burns. There's an activity going on here that says, I'm, I'm going to continue to speak, I'm going to continue to give the message and instruction ongoing, constant, unending, an effort that will even give up my rest till the job is done. I'm going to continue to do this. When? Until the purpose is met. The righteousness is as clear as the sun. It says it's as brightness, and the word brightness 
talks about the image of the sun. It says, until your righteousness blossoms and is as bright and clear as the sun, and also until salvation or deliverance is like the lamp with a fire. Some of you go camping, right? Well, in this case, they didn't have batteries to make a lamp or a nine-volt battery, the big old square ones. You remember those big square nine-volt batteries that go in there? He says, until your salvation is like that lamp in the night. The fire that burned in this case, they didn't have the batteries, but they had a fire so they could look out and they'd see the fire in the darkness. So he says, I'm going to keep talking. I'm going to continue to speak up, and I will do that until the righteousness is like the sunshine gliding, until your salvation in the image is like a, a, a lamp in the night. He says, I am working on your behalf of his people. And then secondly, not only is God working on behalf of his people, but it says that righteousness that will be publicly declared, that righteousness will be publicly recognized. It says, who will see it? Verse 2, the Gentiles shall see your righteousness, not only just the Gentiles in general, but all the kings of your glory, because you shall be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord will name. That righteousness will be publicly recognized. Who are the Gentiles? Those were the people not necessarily called by God's name. God chose Abraham, and he worked with Abraham, and brought him and made a nation out of him, and then you have the, the captivity or the, the uh, Egyptian bondage that came out. He says, those who are not part of my blessing, they will see your righteousness, and they will be drawn to that. You think even fast forward to the New Testament time when we have the disciples, and they uh, started preaching there in the book of Acts. And what was it? The Pharisees, the Sadducees, they took notice and says that, where did they get this reading? He says, but they took note that they were with Jesus. There's a distinctiveness that comes about that draws people to those who see righteousness, that see the, the truth of the gospel being portrayed out there. The righteousness is recognized by the Gentiles, and there will be glory recognized by the kings, those of authority, those who have diverse authority, it says here that the, the kings of your glory, they shall be, and you shall be called by a new name. The righteousness transformed their names. Now we're not told, when you go into uh, Revelation, it says that the new Jerusalem comes down, he says, I will give you a new name. Now what that name is, I'm not sure. But see, that, that demonstrates a change, and we're going to get into that in a little bit, but, but the transformation that takes place says this, this Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, is going to come down. It's going to be beautiful. And I'll give you a new name by which it will be recognized. And God alone will be able to determine that name. In the Old Testament, names had a meaning. And I was going to bring a list of, of different names, and I, I left it home. But each name had a distinctive name, and it had a meaning. Sarah talked about that in Sunday school a little bit there that um, you know uh, the names meant something you know, Sarah means princess um, beloved of God is, is John Jeshua they all have a and so God's going to give a name that has a distinctive 
meaning a recognition. Genesis chapter 12 and verse 2 talks about even the very work of God and what he's doing. Here's the Abrahamic covenant. He tells Abraham, the Lord had said to Abraham, get out of your country from your kindred and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. You shall be a blessing. So again, the idea of a great name is being even established right there. And then we go to 1 Chronicles chapter 17 and verse 21. And who is like your people, Israel? The one nation on earth whom God went to redeem for himself as a people, to make yourself a name by your great and awesome deeds. And then we go there to the, the Revelation, which I allude to in Revelation 3.12. He overcomes and will make him a pillar and a temple of my God, he shall go out no more, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my heaven. And I will write on him my new name. Again, there, there's that, that prophecy being fulfilled, or he says, well, New Jerusalem, I will give them a new name, which only the mouth of the Lord will name. God alone will be able to determine that. Righteousness is publicly recognized. By the Gentiles here, those who, who are outside of the hand of God, by the he says, by kings, those who have authority and power. He says, even the new name will have a distinctiveness that I alone will be able to give you. The righteousness, the third principle here is that righteousness is a total transformation. What does he call it? He says, because of this that I'm working with you unceasingly, unendingly, without rest, I'm working until that righteousness bursts forth like the sunshine and like salvation is like a, a lamp in the dark. And what will happen, that transformation, it will be, you shall also be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in your, in your hand. What is a crown? Kings wear a crown, but, but really what it is, it's a it's an ornament. Beautiful. Sometimes there's precious stones in it, made out of gold, made out of silver, but it's an, an ornament of glory. It's an ornament of, of prestige, if you will, saying that I am the king, and it, it's really just a, a, an adornment and an ornament that they, they wear, but so an ornament is of glory in this case. The glory who goes to God. It's a visible beauty to, to see, but where is it wearing? He says, where is it? It's not on his head. It's in his hand. When you're carrying something in your hand, it's usually for protection, right? So not only is he saying you're going to be this crown of glory, of an adornment and, and beauty of God, but it's also going to be held in protection, held in, in custody of, of God himself, being secure and protected. But that transformation not only is a symbol of God's glory, but it's a symbol of God's sovereignty. So he repeats, in a sense, he says, and a royal diadem. There's the symbolism of the authority of God, the sovereignty 
of God, God's rule under Elohim's presence, the kingly authority, the supreme deity, again, secure and protected in the hand of your God, transformed as a symbol of God's sovereignty, transformed as a symbol of God's glory, transformed in the relationship to God. The city says, you know, because the city in, in captivity was forsaken, he says, you shall no longer be forsaken. The old identity is gone, alone, apart from God, abandoned, neglected. He says, no longer is that going to be the consideration with where the land was left fertile or left untouched. The land where it's a place of activity, a place of, of prosperity, no longer going to consider wasteland or desolate or unprofitable. It's going to be a transformation because God is working with there. There'll be a, a new delight, but you shall be called what? Hesbzabah in your land, Beulah, which means, as he, he finished that verse, as he gives us the meaning of that word, Hesbzabah means. Um, delight, I, I delight in you. That's what Hespelah means, and Beulah means Mary. Those are the two words there. He says, because what? For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. So he says, those are your names. Why? Because the Lord delights in you. Why? Because you will be married. The people of the Lord will be, the people will be married to the land, if you will. You've heard that terminology before, haven't you? He's married to the land. There's a desire, a willingness to be there, to be part of the land in God's delight. So there's a transformation from the old identity of being forsaken, abandoned by God because of their um, rebellion against God and put into captivity. Now he says in the future, there will be prosperity. There will be a, a glory and sovereignty and a delight of God in the a delight of God in the nation. What happens at salvation for the new believer? Ephesians chapter 2 talks about the condition of the, the unbeliever before Jesus, before salvation. It says at one time, let me get there, Ephesians chapter 2. That at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. So, so the promises of Israel were not part of you. And strangers from the covenants of promise. There was no promise made to you. Having no hope without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been made near by the blood of Christ. 1 Peter 2 and verse 9 says, But now you are a chosen generation, a, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. There's a transformation that takes place that the relationship of God is changed. And so we have that prefigured here, even in the book of Isaiah. That God says to the nation of Jerusalem, I will be a delight in you. And the land will be the people, the sons will be married to you. They will want to be part of the land. They will be wanting to be working together, doing that with life activities. Anticipation of together growth. 
And then he makes the illustration of just how clean and how pure that transformation will be because he says, for, for as a young man marries a virgin, so shall your, your sons marry you. Marriage is a great delight, right? That anticipation of growing together, that anticipation of, of a, a future together, being able to, to, to see great accomplishments together. He says, and so that's kind of the, the emotion that will be uh, involved here as the young man anticipates and marries that, that virgin, so your son shall marry you. And the bridegroom, and as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. All the delight and the emotions of that wedding day. He says, I rejoice. This is the bride, my bride, and the beauty of that and the encouragement and the delight that happens there. He says, that's the feeling that God has towards you, that I will delight in you. Why do we call it in the New Testament? He says that the New Testament church is called the Bride of Christ. Because that, that desire is there that brings joy, great joy now to, that they're bringing us together. Now we're, we're one family together. I now declare you man and wife. And that great delight, the great joy seen as beautiful as a desire to spend together, spend time together, to live together, to grow together. transformation in the relationship to God. Isaiah says, okay, I'm talking about Israel. There's another principle here, though. It says that there are men commissioned to call for the fulfillment of God's plan. He says, I've set watchmen over you. What's a watchman do? He looks off into the distance to see if there's any enemies, to see uh, if there's any evil activities going on. And God set them in place. I have set watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem, he says. I have placed them to watch you, to protect you, to, to see if there's any evil out there. And they are in a place of prominence. So, so not only are the watchmen out there looking around, but they're also the people in the city looking to see them out there doing their job. Because the, the situation of Jerusalem is as a great delight before God. But what was their ministry, the, 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 the watchmen? They shall never hold their peace day and night. You who make mention of the Lord, do not keep silent and give him rest till he establishes and till he makes Jerusalem a praise to the earth. It's a constant ministry. A ministry that he says, don't hold your peace. So they're vocal when? Day and night. When things are, are going well and things are easy to see, and also when things are obscured and darkness and things are not clear. They will still speak the truth. And it's a commanded ministry. He says what? You who remember or make mention of the Lord, do not keep silent. That is the command. Do not hold your peace. Tell about the, the warnings. Tell about the, the working of God and the plan which is going to be accomplished. Do not keep silent 
if you have an understanding and awareness and remember the Lord, which then motivates and gives depth to the message, speak it. Silence is not an option. Just tell the actions that you see, to warn about the enemies, to, to lay out the plan for the people, good and bad. Not only the watchmen, it's a commanded ministry, but it's a concentrated ministry. And give him no rest till he establishes and makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. What is the goal? Again, we're back here. God, until God, until he makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. The plan of God is to be fulfilled. The watchmen are out there doing the work, warning, encouraging, challenging. Here's the plan. And he says, make it so that God will fulfill the plan. Until lives are established, believers are secure, and the plan is complete. Jerusalem is the focus of God. He says, oh, Jerusalem, the very focus of God is Jerusalem, his people, and his, he wants his chosen people to be a praise in the earth by the work of God till he makes the Jerusalem a praise in the earth. He says, make it so God can continue to work. Make it so that the watchmen are there, make it so that God can continue to make the difference as they're out there being the watchmen aware of the Lord and his purpose and his plan. Principle number five here talks about the promises that God says. God promises life actions of a new life that will achieve good. Can you imagine being in captivity and working in the grain fields and working with the wine and, and doing all this effort only to see your, your master and your captive take it all away. Only to see enemies come and, and drink the wine, a, a symbol of the blessing, a symbol of the joy, a symbol of the excitement, and it's all gone. He says, that's, that's not going to happen anymore. You've been in captivity. You've been in bondage, but now that's going to go away, oh Jerusalem. Now the things that you do and making the grain, it's going to be for your benefit. The, the wine that you build is going to be for you to drink. That all of your life activity will bring value to life. How do you know this is sure? Because he says the Lord has sworn by his right hand. We do that today in, in, in judicial courtrooms, right? Raise your right hand, do you solemnly swear that you will tell the truth, all the truth and nothing but the truth? So help me God. He's saying that's kind of the symbolism. If God says he's raised his right hand and made the yoke, he also says it's a hand of strength. The Lord has sworn by his right hand and by the arm of his strength, God doesn't make promises he can't keep. God is able to do that which he has promised. And he has a desire and willingness to do that. So those labor-intensive activities, giving your grain, making the wine, it may have been empty, but now it's going to be helpful. It may have been empty, but now others will no longer drink it. The foreign sons who have no relationship with God, 
the sons of the foreigner shall not drink the new wine. Labor is real. It takes work, even as the illustration there of winnowing out grain. You have to process it. You have to pull it up and let the, the chaff go away. It's kind of the same way with doctrinal concepts. You know, you have to get into the Word of God and, and work with it that we might come out with nuggets. The new wine, the, that item of festivity, of pleasantry, the insights and, ins and understanding that can come from that. You ever feel like that you're, you're, you're reading through the Word of God and you, you're, you're reading and all of a sudden a verse that you've read, I don't know how many times, all of a sudden, boom, it's right there and says, wow, that's a cool verse. I really like that. Write it down on the 3 by 5 card, put it up on the, the mirror, try to memorize it. I hope you're doing that. That pleasantry, that, that newness of the word of God might, might be fresh to you as you study it. He says, that's what's going to happen because I give you the Holy Spirit. you'll be able to, to gain all effort that will be for pleasant for yourself. A labor that produces benefit. But those who have gathered it shall eat it and praise the Lord. Those who have brought it together shall drink it in my holy courts. The nation of Israel will no longer have to fear all their efforts going for nothing. The believer, as he spends time in the Word of God, will get nourishment and enjoyment from the Word of God. There will be life activities that bring value to life. All the accomplished will be for the very praise of God. Where will he do it? They will gather and praise the Lord. Those who have brought it together will be where in my holy courts. We also have a principle here in Verse 10, the route for people's growth and deliverance can be prepared. As he tells the nation of Israel, okay, get ready, you're going to be this glorious city, you're going to have the, the crown of, of beauty, and you're going to have the crown of sovereignty, and your, your activities are going to be blessed as you produce the grain and the wine, and, and there will be that prosperity here. So, so make a road that people might come to the city, make a road that they might see the path and put up a banner there that say, this is Jerusalem, this is the new name. The route for people's growth can be prepared. But what does it say? It says, go, go through, go through the gates. That means, in our, our terminology, get, get outside your comfort zone, get outside the places of safety and security, Make ready and clear the path to, to follow that the exiles might return. Prepare the way for the people. Make the path clear that they might be able to come to this new Jerusalem, to come to this new relationship with God. So he says what? Build up the highway. Literally it says make no defects. Make it no, no, no rough and tumble way, but also it says clean out the obstacles, remove the stones, take out the stones, get, it, get all the obstacles out of the way, that there might be a clean, clear path to this new relationship, this new Jerusalem that's being established. A new fellowship with God that is offered. And set the goal clear. Set up a banner. 
clear communication of the destination to the people. Here it is. How many people go looking for the golden arches? Here it is. We, if you uh, come to that, that camping site, and there's the sign that says Yogi Bear Campground, wherever it is you're going to go. There's a clear destination. Here's where you need, need to go. Perhaps nowadays we say you put it on the GPS on your phone, you know. Here it is, right there. Set up the banner because the goal is achievable, measurable, memorable, repeatable. He says, there's the banner. That's what we're headed for. The righteousness of God, a fellowship with God. And then God's principle here, number seven, the last one here we find, verse 11 and 12. God's planned future brings encouragement. So he says, here's God's plan future, and it's going to be encouraging. So he says here what? Here's Jehovah's message. Indeed, the Lord has proclaimed it. Proclaimed it well known and shared widely. A proclamation is made that I proclaim this for you, the, na the nation of Israel, the city of Jerusalem. I'm making a clear pro proclamation from Jehovah, the God of Israel. And this message has went how far? To the end of the world. To encourage all people that all people can understand it. A message of promise. Say to the daughter of Zion, those people of my choosing, those people which I have called unto myself. It's a message of deliverance. Surely your salvation is coming. It's active. It's on its way. And there's a reward waiting for you and a work that I will continue to do. There's the message. The salvation is coming. And I will continue to work with you to make you that, that what he called it, the, uh, the righteousness will go forth as brightness, the salvation, a lamp that burns, and you will be a, a praise to the Lord. a message of distinction. And they shall call them the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, and you shall be called sought out, a city not forsaken. The end result of the work of God is that there will be a holy people. In this case, it's, it's in the millennial kingdom, you have this new Jerusalem, and the regathered nation of Israel sitting there, and he says, this is a set-apart people. This is a people of my own, and I'm working with you. New Testament church. First Peter chapter says, you are a royal priesthood, a chosen generation. God says you're my people of my own, a holy nation, and we are set apart to serve him. It is called the redeemed of the Lord. God has redeemed Israel out of the bondage of Egypt redeem them out of that captivity where they were working and all their efforts were giving for their enemies were giving not for their own benefit but now I have bought you you are mine I am the owner I am your master that you might serve me and that there will be benefit in all that you're doing it's called redeemed of the Jehovah once a slave now is free once blind but now I see 
God being the owner. The, and he says, what? You will be called sought out. The active desire of God to see you, to look for you, to follow you. The old illustration of the, the 99 where the one sheep is gone, but he goes and leaves the rest that he might search out. I am active desire to seek and to save. He says, my ears are open to your cry. My eyes are over the righteous. God says, I've sought you. I've looked for you. I found you and brought you unto myself. Because the nation of Israel, and we know that they get dispersed and spattered abroad, but he will bring them from the very ends of the earth back into one place. I will seek you and bring you back together. A city not forsaken. A city not desolate, neglected, subject to decay, but maintained. God's planned future brings encouragement in anticipated God's still working on the believer. God's still working on you. He has a plan to conform us to the very image of God that we might be a holy people, we might be redeemed from the Lord, that we will be sought out, chosen by him, and that we will not be forsaken. God is consistent in dealing with all of his children, Old Testament and New Testament. And God is active in our lives today. Are you listening to God? Are you seeing principles even as he deals specifically with the New Jerusalem, specifically with Isaiah and, and the promises of, of Israel. But the Bible, Isaiah is in the Bible for you and I to glean and grow from. And so I pray as you work through and you read some of these Old Testament passages, you say, okay, yes, I know specifically, particularly, this is Israel that's inside. But it's the same God that's working with Israel, it's the same God that's working in our lives. And so it's not wrong to say, what's the principles? What are the things that I can apply to my life? Here is a God that acts on behalf of his chosen people. Here is a God that produces a righteousness that is publicly recognized. Here is a God that has a righteousness that's a total transformation, a crown of glory, a, a diadem and a new name given to them. This is a principle where men are called out as watchmen concerning the fulfillment of God's plan, and they are seeking to allow God to do the work, warning about enemies and, and people's lives. Here is a God that promises a life that will be beneficial, that the activities will bring glory there's a God that has a, a path for fellowship with God that can be prepared. A path that will bring fellowship with God, will, will bring encouragement to those that were seeking God. And God who presents a message of hope. I hope you love the Old Testament and see the applications to our lives. And that we just don't get bogged down in, well, this isn't for me, but, but it is. There is truth to be gleaned. As we think of God's promise to the nation of Israel, God's promise to the Israel and Jerusalem and what he's going to do. 
But that God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead is the same God that can transform your life and mine. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for still working on us, for giving us hope that as you can fulfill the promises to the nation of Israel, you can fulfill the promises to us. That you can mold us and make us into the image of your Son. And that we might love you that much more. And be encouraged. Have the hope. The promise of eternal life stands true. The promise of conforming to the image is there. The promise of your loving discipline when we walk away from you will be fulfilled. Well, thank you, Lord, that you are our Father, that you deal with us even as a loving mother. In Jesus' name I pray.